Hi, everybody. This is Dan Walker. Welcome to another edition of U.S. Law Radio. Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, just a few of the more popular social networking platforms out there and growing like an epidemic. That seems like a fairly innocent enough activity, fun way to stay in touch or reconnect with old friends. But for a great many employers, some warning signals are going up. U.S. law member Charlie Meyer is head of labor and employment at LeClaire Ryan in Virginia and joins us now with his unique insights. Charlie, it's great to have you here on U.S. Law Radio. Well, thank you. Social networking, Charlie, seems like a relatively benign and harmless activity, right? Well, first of all, before we kind of get into good and bad, and, and I'll get there, believe me, it's a big thing. And I think that's the most important thing for employers to recognize is this is a technology which is on a scale we just haven't seen in the workforce yet. And to give you just some little bits of information, we're seeing right now about 35% of adult internet users have a profile on at least one of the social networking sites. And when we talk about the social networking sites, we're talking about Facebook, MySpace, LinkedIn, Twitter. Those are the big four. MySpace has over 100 million active monthly users. Facebook is more than 100 million Facebook users as well. So if you think about it in context, Dan, that's one out of every three adult Americans are using Facebook. To give it a little bit more historical context, more videos were uploaded to YouTube in the last two months than all of the content aired by ABC, NBC, CBS every day since 1948. Come on, Charlie, you got to be cooking those numbers. No, these are, you know, this is something that employment lawyers, uh, HR specialists who kind of care about how their employees are using their time at work are looking at. There's a University of Melbourne study which reflected that uh, 300 workers surveyed found that 70% of those with internet access at work engaged in recreational internet surfing while at work. And to put that in context, those are people who admit it. <laughs> I mean, they actually go to them and say, okay, who of you are actually using the internet, surfing the internet at work, going onto the social networking sites? And 70% said, I do. So it's a huge issue in terms of how employees are using their time at work, what they're doing. So are employers just kind of reconciling that, well, they've all got computers, they're all going to do it, just kind of think of it as a cigarette break, I guess? Well, not really. And it's interesting. The question was, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And all of the research at this point is it's a 50-50 thing. About 50% of employers are saying, you can't do this. We're going to ban your use of social networking sites while at work. But 50% are saying, no, this can be a good thing. So to kind of look at the good aspects of social networking, a lot of companies are being proactive about this, saying, look, we think it's important that we allow our employees with certain parameters, certain restrictions to access social networking sites. So there are companies like Procter & Gamble, like Citigroup, that have their own private Facebooks. The Citigroup Facebook, for example, is exclusively for company employees, and it's about 2,000 users. And the idea behind that is, hey, we can promote company policies, we can promote company business if we have our own social networking site or if we encourage our employees to use these social networking sites reasonably. It can strengthen professional relationships. It's very effective for marketing for a lot of clients. And we're also seeing a lot of companies using social networking sites, Dan, to recruit and hire new employees, also to screen new employees. Something like 80% of all companies are currently using social networking sites just to screen prospective hires to make sure they're not getting some complete dunderhead coming into their company or someone who's 
posting irrational behavior on the internet. So it can be a very effective tool for employers uh, as they're screening, as they're hiring, uh, and as they're attempting to market and promote their company business. But for every good, there's a bad. And that, that's why we're looking at 50% are banning or severely restricting employee use of social networking sites. And some of what we're seeing there is, of course, the traditional concerns about, is it a time waster? Back to your point, is it just kind of another smoke break where they're leaving their workstation and, and doodling around? Like that study that I cited with 70% of employees who have access admitting that they go and surf the net. But there are other more serious concerns that employers are dealing with, and I think it's worth focusing on that for a minute. You have a significant risk of disclosing confidential proprietary trade secret information. If you don't have a good policy, employees can post company information, which really shouldn't be up there. There are huge issues with reputational damage, with scandal, with adverse publicity for the company that no one wants out there because Again, some irresponsible employee has posted some outrageous YouTube video, and it's threatening to bring down the company, or it just gives the company a black eye. You got an example, Charlie, of how an unhappy employee can make things unpleasant for their employer? Just last year, there was a case involving Domino's, where two Domino's employees were in the kitchen in North Carolina, and they decided to pull a prank, and they posted a prank YouTube video showing food adulteration in the Domino's kitchen, just doing all sorts of horrible stuff to the pizza, which was false. It was all just a ruse. But the two employees ended up causing huge problems for the company. They saw a huge decline in sales, a lot of concern and public outrage that, oh, my Lord, this is what the Domino's pizza people are doing. And the company had to investigate, and it was all false. And those two employees faced felony charges. Incredible. And once that kind of thing is out there, you really can't reel it back in. No. I mean, and so, you know, Domino's did everything right, and they investigated. The two clowns were prosecuted, ultimately convicted of misdemeanor food adulteration. But you're right. The damage was done. So that's, again, one of the problems we're seeing out there with social networking. If you don't control it, you can have irresponsible employees posting outrageous YouTube videos or statements about the company. We're also seeing it to kind of drill down a little bit more in the employment context. There are really two types of risks that employers are seeing. There's the traditional risk of employment claims because of the way in which companies are perceived to treat employees who access social networking sites. All of the folks who are familiar with employment liability claims who either handle them in-house or outside for their clients recognize that whenever one employee who happens to be in a protected category thinks that they're being treated differently than those outside the protected category, they're going to bring what's called a disparate treatment claim. They're going to say, you only look at me because I happen to be over the age of 40 or I happen to be disabled or whatever the issue is. And what we're seeing is in a number of cases where people have been caught posting inappropriate content on the web or on a social networking site, that they turn around and say, well, the only reason you're doing that to me is because I'm a woman or because I'm over the age of 40 or because I happen to be African-American. We saw this most recently in a decision that came out of the 11th Circuit earlier this year, February of, of 2010, Marshall versus the city of Savannah. And Ms. Marshall was a firefighter for the city of Savannah who decided, I'm going to post some interesting, revealing photographs of myself coming out of the shower. Now, she thought she clicked her particular website to the private feature, but she hadn't. 
In fact, all of her, it was a MySpace page that she had, all of her MySpace photos were circulated around the fire department, showed her coming out of the shower and showing her backside. And her argument after she was fired, because of course she filed a lawsuit against the city, was that, hey, look, I wasn't doing anything any differently from all the male firefighters. I mean, these guys were putting the same kind of stuff on their MySpace page. Why are you picking on me? And so she brought a Section 1983 lawsuit against the city and said similarly situated male employees were not disciplined for the same offenses. Again, why are you picking on me? It must be because of my gender. The fire chief said, look, we don't have time to be monitoring and patrolling the Internet and everyone's MySpace pages. First page came to our attention because it was so egregious. We would do the same disciplinary action were it a man. And there, ultimately, the court sided with the city and granted summary judgment to the city. But that case, I think, illustrates, Dan, the fact that there is liability exposure. The city did have to defend an expensive lawsuit against them because individuals will claim, if you're only looking at my website, if you're only picking on me because of what I post, well, I'm going to claim it's disparate treatment or there's that risk. So that's an entire area of liability that employers are facing. They've got to be very careful not to pick on one category of people uh, and to be sure that they're consistent in how they're monitoring their employee social networking practices. Well, Charlie, you've gone and turned just a fun way of staying in touch with your old high school pals to a world of worry if you're running a business. Now, there's got to be a way to mitigate the risk other than just putting something down on paper. Well, there are ways to mitigate it. And part of it, too, Dan, is you've got to be willing to consider using social networking as a tool prospectively to help you defend against these lawsuits. So, of course, there's social networking policies. We could chat about that in a second. But I think, you know, more importantly, you have to recognize this is a technology that's here to stay. And so as an employer, what are you going to do about making sure you're using that technology proactively to defend against lawsuits that may be frivolous or unbased, to defend against dissemination of your company trade secrets? I mean, for example, how many IT departments currently Google that company's name? Do you make sure that your HR department or your, your IT department is Googling your company name to make sure that people aren't out there copying your trade secrets or using your idea? protecting your business information from disclosure or from being copycatted or violated out in the marketplace. When you're sued, do you then actually affirmatively look at the social networking sites? Some of the best evidence that we're seeing in cases to defend against discrimination and other employment liability claims really comes from these social networking sites where you see the employee running amok, partying, saying, oh, I'm disabled, I can't work. And then you find out, in fact, they're windsurfing in Cancun. And you download the YouTube videos and the MySpace photos showing these employees who otherwise are claiming they're disabled or they're out on workers' comp or they can't work in the workplace because it's such a hostile work environment because of the partying or the the harassment that goes on. And then you see them partying and behaving inappropriately on their own posts. Or you see more revealing information where, in fact, the employee is engaging in fraud. And all of that evidence is very important for employers to consider using as they defend against these kinds of lawsuits and use really social networking sites as a shield or perhaps even to support a counterclaim. Just staying on top of the company-related social networking sounds like it could be a full-time job just for that. Yeah, and, and that's something, frankly, it's the job of outside counsel 
when you are sued to be looking at this, to recommend that this evidence be considered. It could become a full-time job, just like the city firefighter chief in Savannah in that case said, look, I can't spend the resources just trolling the internet and trying to find this kind of dirt or information. It is important once you're in litigation that you're careful to gather that kind of evidence. Before you get there, though, it's helpful if you can prevent it in the first place. And so that's where I think creating a solid, not overreaching, but rational, reasonable social networking policy is important. And I think there's some key elements that employers need to consider when they are developing a social networking policy. It needs to be rational. There is an expectation that a number of employers have that, hey, if it's my company computer, my company technology, you have no right of privacy as an employee. I think it's important to have that in your policy, but to recognize that current case law is really going the other way, that there are a number of decisions, including the Quan decision, which is up before the Supreme Court, where the expectation of privacy is a valid expectation under certain circumstances, that just because the individual may be using company technology, if the practice is to allow that under certain circumstances, and there's certain states that actually have past legislation that if it's on your own time, you may be using company property, but if you're off duty, if you're on your own time, if you're on lunch break, you want to do some internet shopping or post to your website or have a private communication with a private Facebook account that's checked private, then the employer really has no right to scrutinize that. So what would be your advice to us, Charlie, in crafting social networking policy for our employees? I think you need to be realistic. Hey, on your lunch break, if it's not interfering with work, if you're not on the job, on the clock, then of course it's appropriate to access your social networking site, to tweet your teenage daughter. That's the way you're communicating with your teenage daughter. All of that is fine, but there's certain parameters. And I think a good social media policy should contain some restrictions and guidelines. Don't do this or you'll be disciplined. For example, do not post company proprietary information or trade secrets. You will be disciplined up to and including termination of employment. Do not harass your coworkers. Do not publish defamatory or obscene content. There need to be clear guidelines as to what you can publish and what's not appropriate. Part of that entails making sure you're really not at odds with what the company is trying to do, that you're not undermining the company or competing with the company. While you, on the one hand, want to establish that, look, the company has the right to monitor what you're posting, the company also has a right to set certain parameters in that context to make sure that you're not creating a conflict of interest with the employer or with one of the employer's clients. You don't want to be disparaging the, the company's number one client uh, on your social networking site, particularly if you're the supervisor or in management or the president of the company. So it's entirely appropriate for the company in its social media policy to lay down some very clear parameters requiring that employee postings comply with company policy. Well, this little chat of ours, Charlie, has certainly raised more questions than we have time for. Where can we go to find out more? Well, what you need to do is first dial into U.S. law. The U.S. law network has a number of specialists, not only in defending social networking cases, but in developing social networking policies. The best defense is a good offense. People need to be proactive right now. Go out, talk to their U.S. law attorneys, make sure they have a rational social networking policy that they have in place that they can rely on. It doesn't need to be overkill. It's not that expensive to develop a rational, effective, 
effective policy that you can actually use, but it's something people need to be doing now. I couldn't urge clients who might be listening into this podcast strongly enough to reach out to their U.S. law network firms around the country, wherever they're located, wherever they're doing business, and to tap into that resource. Oh, what was that last thing you just said? Sorry, I was checking my Facebook. (laughs) Exactly. And pay attention. You can check your Facebook, but it shouldn't interfere with your employment responsibility. Charlie Meyer, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us here on U.S. Law Radio. Great to be with you. Thank you. That is it, folks. We're out of time. U.S. Law Radio is produced by Roger Yaffe. Send your comments and show ideas his way. He loves to hear from you. This edition of U.S. Law Radio has been brought to you by SCA Limited, forensic engineering and origin cause experts working nationwide since 1970, and by Ringler Associates. Since 1975, Ringler Associates has provided injured parties and their attorneys with the finest structured settlement services. This is Dan Walker. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you again next time for a brand new edition of U.S. Law Radio.